Military veteran and self-proclaimed dollar store dom Eric Weinstein, who began the podcast Sixty Nine Whiskey, which was originally a college radio show. The podcast touches on topics ranging from drink recipes, entertainment, and of course your favorite positions. So, Eric, welcome to That's Orgasmic. Hi, Emily. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> uh, just adding a little bit to the titles. I've also recently added the Bard of Pornography. Uh, just throwing that out there. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) Um, yeah, well, thank you for joining me. Obviously we're meant to have Matt, your co-host as well, but unfortunately he couldn't make it, but I'm honestly excited to just um, like, you know, talk to you and yeah, talk about all the things we're going to talk about today, which I'm pretty excited about. I first wanted to ask you a question that you started when you asked me on your podcast, the first question you asked me, which was what is like your funniest or wildest sex story? God damn. All right. All right. I guess, I guess I will give you, uh, did we, I, I know that we talked a little bit about it, but I'm trying to remember if I told you the story of like the actual preacher's daughter story on your, on the, when you showed up on our show. No. Okay. Okay. So then I'll give your listeners this one. Cause this <laughs> one is always entertaining and always kills. Uh, so <clears throat> in my youth and more towards the beginning of my sexual experiences, uh, I ended up dating a girl that was the daughter of a preacher uh, in local community and whatnot. And we had been dating for a little while at this point and had crossed a few lines already, but had not done anything as bad as what I am about to say. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So one day, her dad turns to me, turns to her and asks her to go with me down to the church to fill up the baptismal tub for the next day's uh, baptisms. So we drive down and we start getting the tub ready and she splashes me with water. So I splash her back, not thinking, and she's wearing white, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so one thing led to another. We ended up in the baptismal tub. Oh, and because of like, it was, it was already so bad. I was like, all right, I'm just not going to use a condom because, well, it's already, I'm already going to hell for this one. So the next day. I drive over to pick her up after the ba- while the baptisms are being done. Mm-hmm. And midway through, while this is going on, she texts me. Fuck, I forgot to change the water after we were done yesterday. Oh my god. <laughs> so I text her back in the great words of Maury Povich. If there is an immaculate conception, God is not the father. 
imagine. Imagine. <laughs> that is hilarious. Imagine the poor people that got baptized in that one that day. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. One of the few churches that I will absolutely say I deserved to get banned for life from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I can see that. That is <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. However, if anybody else is in the same situation, it probably just happened. It happens. Like <laughs> as I always say to to people, uh, especially when it comes to like, because I've I've said this a bunch of times on our shows. Don't play mind games with me because I will always make the wrong decision. <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> so I would love to just know a bit, obviously, about like your own podcast and how you obviously got into into doing that, just so the listeners have a bit of a background of, I guess, who you are. Okay. So as far as like the podcast as it's come to be and where it started, as you said, it started out as a college radio show that I just, I personally did not agree with a lot of the things that were being said around my college campus about ideas on uh, connecting with other people and developing relationships and uh, mentalities of why and to what extent you drink or inebriate yourself at a social interaction. Uh, Just the little things that as an adult and as somebody who has experience going out to bars and has experience going out to more kink-related events, I felt that the information that I could pass off to these college kids who were just getting out of high school and really had no fucking clue what the fuck they were doing, uh, it was beneficial to them. And that's why I started it. And I did that with a couple of different hosts throughout the years. And when I stopped, when I was about to graduate from college, I basically said, all right, 69 whiskey, I'm passing it off to somebody else. I'm done. I'm out later. And they dropped it. They just didn't pick it back up and it basically went on to hiatus until uh, essentially COVID hit. Matt turned around to me and was like, hey, thinking about starting up a, pod- starting up a, a podcast, you are technically the owner of 69 Whiskey and it's a great brand that did a lot of good things back when we were in college. I'd like to help you bring it back and make it a podcast. And I was like, well, I've got nothing better to do. Let's do this. Uh, And I was also working on launching a Twitch page at that time. And I had just gotten it to affiliate. So I was like, all right, intersecting forms of media. I'll just pile it on top of each other. And that was kind of my idea for that end of it. Uh, since then, uh, I barely do Twitch Mm -hmm. and, uh, the podcast is syndicated and doing fantastic. So, uh, 
I mean, that's kind of how it got started and how it is where it is now. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's it's good to hear, and I like that. Um, I mean, we don't have college radio shows here, so like, we don't, I mean, like, I just I'd never heard of it, and I think it's such a like that's such an important thing, like having something you can go listen to that can educate you, especially when like you go from high school to college, or, like university here. You have no fucking idea what you're doing. You're just left home. You're, you know, freshly 18. You're drinking more than you've ever drank in your life. And it's just like a fucking whirlwind. I think about all of the trouble I got into my first year in the military. Just the first fucking year. (laughs) Because of alcohol. Because of uh, bad decision making from advice from people that I were told I was told were smarter than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, just so many different things that if I would have sat down with somebody who was a sound a sound person to that wasn't as much of an idiot as I was and could give me that advice. I think that 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 was that would have been beneficial for me. But <laughs> now I get to pass that advice <laughs> off to other people. Exactly. <laughs> now, I'd love to talk about your experience in the kink community. You did just briefly touch on it before. Um yeah, I just love to know, I guess just a brief overview of your experience to start with. All right. So I started my BDSM journey in 2013. Uh, I had just gotten back from the from Afghanistan, and I was living with a good friend of mine, uh, and we went out to a to a local uh, BDSM store and one of the clerks there was a member of the Washington community and through that through uh, the people that were working at the store and the owner of the store who was actually one of the heads of the uh, leather community out in Washington uh, I was able to basically find the community and find out about networking resources that I still use and have greatly, greatly helped me even today uh, when the community that I'm actively trying to look for is undergoing a pseudo-renaissance. But getting into that community... uh, I was able to get mentorship on a lot of the different uh, kinks that I practice and get an understanding of safety and how to on a fundamental level. Uh, A lot of bad things happened. I will not lie to any of the listeners and I won't give you guys any sort of false understanding of the BDSM community in the fact that there are a lot of great people out there, but there are also a lot of shitty people and people do make mistakes and make bad decisions. And when you combine 
sex, emotions, and miscommunication together, a lot of people get hurt. So I will preface that. Uh, but as long as you have a healthy community, as long as you are being aware and making sure that your own communication is always understood, there typically aren't many problems. But that's that's always part of like the the risk of going out to some of these parties and it being a part of the community is that eventually you do develop people that you hang out with you do develop community micro communities and expanded communities and whatnot but I did a I did like five years out there to the point where I was actively teaching uh, fire play and other stuff uh, wanted to get involved in the leather community a little bit because that is something that I find very attractive but it's a pseudo different culture and trying to get into that culture without being a gay man is a little bit mm, weird yeah it's interesting to like uh, to talk about it and get the chance to talk about it today because I feel like um it's something that unless you meet people within the community you don't really get exposed to not like the true I guess depths of it like you see kinks and things but not like getting necessarily like uh mentors and taught about it like I feel like so many people don't even realize that you really should go and get properly educated on these kinks before you practice them. They just think, oh, here's this kink, let me try it. Not that you should actually be trained in it. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's a really important thing for people to know who are listening and didn't realize that that's a thing, um, that there are workshops yep. and different things to actually properly learn. Um, I would also be interested to touch on, I guess, the fire play a bit because I've never talked about it on the podcast. Just for the listeners who ha maybe haven't heard of it, like what it kind of – details i feel like it kind of explains itself with the name but what it actually looks like well i mean there's actually a couple of different versions of fireplay uh there is the demonstrative and performance uh style of fireplay which uh i would fall under like uh fire twirling uh uh using a flaming flogger or a flaming bullwhip those are mostly performance stuff and as a as a dom and as a top who is into fire it is relaxing for me and uh is a is a more of an internal thing than anything else. Uh, do I do it for, have I seen people do it to please other people? Absolutely. Uh, but that is the performance side of it, which is strictly performance. Uh, then you get into the more physical sides of it, which is another thing that I do a lot of, which is the actual fire play and fire cupping, which if anybody really wants to look up what it is 
in a vanilla sense and in a medicinal sense because you absolutely can do this as a medicinal treatment. Uh, it is, just look up fire cupping on YouTube. You will see hundreds of little Asian ladies twirling fire wands inside of cups, setting them down on people's skins, and it sucks up the skin into the cup and absorbs toxins out of the skin. Uh, for me as a, as a BDSM practitioner, uh, I will run the fire wand along the person's skin before I, uh, just to like warm up the muscles and do a little bit of, uh, sensation play with that because that is so incredibly fucking hot, mm -hmm. not just in temperature, uh, <laughs> but after that, putting a little bit of lubricant on the person's back and putting the cups on their back to cause the suction sensation, you can also turn that into a painful sensation by pulling and maneuvering the cups. Uh, it works very well for setting somebody into subspace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. Did you find that this was something like you were always interested in like just the BDSM community or it wasn't until you were actually exposed to it that you were like, oh, this is something I, I want to engage with. So I realized that I was into kink with my with one of my earlier relationships and one of my formative relationships. Uh, a female that I was seeing at the time liked being choked and that kind of triggered a whole bunch of other things and also discussed uh, the idea of being polyamorous with me and that's kind of stuck throughout my entire life. Mm -hmm. So if I have to blame anybody I would say it would be her. Yeah. But uh just sort of running with it it the more that i learn and the more that i experience the more i'm like okay this is something that i that i might be into or this is something that i that i uh think is attractive uh how do i do this in a safe manner mm -hmm. because to be honest the first time i saw fire cupping i thought it was so dangerous i thought that it was terrifying but fucking gorgeous mm -hmm. yeah how do you go about trying to then i guess find that information on how to do it in a safe way do you reach out to other people in the community find workshops your own research a little bit of everything that you just mentioned you you do a lot of that uh i know that in a lot of communities and in a lot of yeah, no, I'm just going to stick with a lot of communities. There are always maybe five or six people that are willing to sit down and teach new people. Uh, now, are you always going to find somebody that's willing to take you under their wing as a mentee? No. Because that is a very specific kind of relationship, and that is somebody 
One thing that I have noticed is that a lot of doms that are going to actually take somebody under their wing as a mentee look for somebody who ha is actually showing that they're interested in being a long-term member of the community. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you show up for, like, two or three months, maybe somebody will take you under their wing, but... If you're if you're consistently showing up and showing that you're participating within the community and you're not just like a flash in the pan kind of person, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't eventually find a mentor. Uh, but also my advice is to always vet out the people that you are selecting to teach you. So it should be just as much of a vetting process for you as it is a vetting process for them to exchange that information. Uh, there are absolutely uh, large-scale events that happen every single year where educators from all over the world educate people on safe ways to do this. I know that Kinky College travels around the entire U.S. Uh, do, and I think a couple of events in Australia, mm -hmm. uh, doing events, uh, at kink, at kink and porn specific events, educating people on safe ways, mentalities, uh, and scenarios that can go wrong. Mm. Yeah. It's great that there's the resources out there for that. And especially ones that are traveling. Cause obviously, not every area is just going to have, you know, an abundance of people who are either practicing or educators in the space. Another thing that I would love to talk about is high protocol relationships because it's never been discussed on the podcast either. Um, are you able to explain like what this means? Because I imagine a lot of listeners probably won't actually know what the term means um, and what that looks like. So, in the most generalistic sense of an explanation and this is this is getting this is breaking it down to like the most basic understanding which is rules rules and regulation uh with high protocol a lot of a lot of doms within that space will have contracts basically there is specific terms that people use and there are specific lingo uh with high protocol there's a lot of uh sir uh ma'am madam uh in a typical relationship of a high protocol and I'm not saying that this is for every single high protocol. It is just the general, me generalizing as much as I physically can without stepping on anybody's toes. Uh, but like for my, for my high protocol, I like having uh, fashion be part of the things that are rules. Uh for me, I I hold myself to a standard of when I play, I am in uh, a nice button-up shirt. I am in a... I would prefer to have, like, a vest of, like, some sort of uh, dress coat kind of thing on. 
to me, it is about the effort going into the scene being done. It is, uh, it is a understanding of communication and give and take on a very, very minute level of this is what I want. This is what you want. There is give and take. And these are the rules of the give and take. And you play with that. Because, yes, there are some submissives that sit there in high protocol and they want to be they want to be called a good boy or girl. They want to be praised by their dominant and show them that they've studied all the rules and they know every single word in the contract and that makes them happy. Whereas other submissives who let's say fall under the brat category, uh they're they'll follow a rule from time to time but at certain moments will actively break a rule so that they're punished and or like if they go too far on a rule it may be a negative punishment or whatever it may be but it's part of the play mm-hmm. is defining where the rules are beforehand and then playing with the rules as you are going through the night mm-hmm. that's high protocol yeah are you able to give, I guess, a bit more of an example of maybe one of your high protocol relationships, like what that looks like? <sighs> like, obviously, you said dress play before, like looking a certain way. So, like for for me, uh, one of that one of the protocols for that is collars. Uh, with with my with my high protocol and within my play spaces, uh, collars are a very, very big thing because within at least the BDSM lifestyle, a collar is almost equivalent to like a wedding ring. Mm-hmm. If easiest way for me to explain it to, to the vanilla crowd. Uh, but a collar f- for in my sense of my relationship and for my play uh when when i have a collared submissive there are different types of collared submissives there are collared submissives who are actively collared and in their contract, it states that they must wear their collar all the time because that is something that they are comfortable with and they don't need to worry about it in their day-to-day life. Like, that is something that I will, as a dominant, I will make a concession for. Like, mm-hmm. if you have a job that if you get outed as a BDSM practitioner, you will lose your fucking job, which, by the way, I think is Fucked up. Absolutely. Uh, I will not overstep that boundary. Mm-hmm. Like the submit, the submissive that I have right now cannot be outed. 
So we have discussed the possibility of getting her a daily collar that looks more like a necklace Mm -hmm. than anything else. Mm -hmm. And that is to help her with her day-to-day stuff. But it's also part of our lifestyle. It's part of our agreement with each other. And when that play happens, that collar is still very much used for play. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing with the collar is uh, there are certain... Uh, because of the fact that we are Polly and she now has a collar... Uh, she now needs to run, she now needs to get, uh, approval from me to play with other people at events. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's an example of it, I guess. Uh, what else, what else, what else? Just, there's so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... I feel like I'm doing it a little bit of disservice because the reality of the situation with callers is that a lot of people within the community, in my opinion, put way too much value on callers. Yes, they are very important for relationships and display and all of this other stuff. And yes, I can understand if like, if somebody were to lose a wedding ring or a wedding ring were to get smashed, I can understand how somebody would be emotional, but it's still an object. And I have seen collars get destroyed. I have seen bad things happen to collars during play. And I have seen submissives break down in tears over it. Mm Mm-hmm. And that, I feel, is a negative part of it, is that people put way too much value on the item over the relationship. Yeah. And so that's something that I would that I have actively been trying to fix within the community. Mm -hmm. But that's that's a lot of that's a lot of like damage and repression and things that i gotta fix (laughs) yeah yeah no i can imagine and especially if it's something that's been um present for a very long time trying to challenge that is is hard work um so obviously with these high particle relationships i'm obviously they're going to look different to each and every different person um but I guess just to be clear on it, so they can exist outside of the play. So as you said, like the collars outside of, you know, the play and stuff. So these rules can ex- – it's kind of like, um, I guess, what's the word for it? I don't know, like a, like a 24-7 dominant-submissive yeah, relationship. I am I – am, I live the kink lifestyle 24-7. I am always a dom. I am always – in that headspace, well, I can't say I'm always in that headspace because I do other stuff as well. But uh, as far as like my relationships and as far as the way that I treat my kinks and stuff, 
they are everyday occurrences for me. Uh, my su my current submissive has a lot of anxiety. Uh, she has a hard time dealing with certain aspects of her life and making decisions. And it helps her get through the day by being able to call me and say, Sir, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Can you give me some advice? Or... Uh, I'm freaking out. Can you talk me down off of this cliff? Or uh, it's that kind of relationship where I've made the agreement to be her rock, but she's also made the agreement to take the time to listen to the words that I'm saying. So in that sense, our 24-7 relationship benefits her mm -hmm. in her day-to-day -day. if she didn't need that then i'd be a lot more lax with her and it would it would be a very different dynamic but because i have had other submissives that didn't need that very close attention all of the time and in fact looked to go get attention from other places if they couldn't find the attention that they needed at that moment. There are relationships that work like that, mm -hmm. but everybody within it has to be okay with the way that the relationship works. And that's another really big key factor of the BDSM lifestyle is that those communications and stuff needs to be needs to be done. Like one of the things that uh, we recently, I know we over at 69 whiskey recently released an episode about reviewing the uh, Pornhub uh, documentary on Netflix and one of the things that they brought up in one of the porn shoots that they were doing was they wanted to specifically film a scene where they discussed consent and they discussed what each other liked and were into. That is, consent and negotiation is sexy mm -hmm. and is part of the process of being in that kind of relationship or even just a one night stand. Yeah, no, because, absolutely. Because let's be let's be honest. If you go out uh pick up a random person at a bar, are you just going to start breaking out the handcuffs the first time you bring them into the bed? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, What's no. the matter, Emily? You don't want to be tied down by a random guy? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, if anything, they expect me to be randomly tying them down. Um, <laughs> oh, man, uh, <laughs> just break out the riding crop. And... <laughs> no, they see, they hear the title sexologist and they think they're fucking in for it. <laughs> I was going to ask, like, do you have any tips then, I guess, for navigating like a dominant submissive relationship? Communication. Mm -hmm. fucking communicate 
I, let me just say it again for all of the people out there who didn't hear me the first time. Fucking communicate! <sighs> I cannot explain... Uh, like One of the most frustrating things in my entire life is I will look somebody dead in their eyes just the way I'm doing with you right now, mm-hmm. and I will say, what are you into? What are your kinks? And they will turn around to me and go, I don't know, everything? I hate that. I have it happened all the time. <laughs> You've opened up the fucking floodgates now. Congratulations. Let's go through the fucking list of things that I can fucking do for you. No. I'm like, for me, it is so much easier to sit down and basically have somebody go, oh, I like being choked a little bit. Oh, I like uh, my ass slapped. I like thuddy toys. I like uh, stingy a little bit. Uh, this is a this is a hard limit for me. That conversation with somebody completely alters the kind of night that I am going to have with somebody else. And it's one of the great conversations that I have with everybody that I have ever been in a relationship with. And it is honestly a terrifying conversation, which is if you sit down and tell me, these are the things that I want. I am going to be able to sit down before I'm with you and go, I know how to do this. I know how to combine this with that. And that'll be fun for them. And I can also do this if this thing falls apart. It gives me so many different avenues to go through because... As I've, as we've said in the military and anywhere else, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And if you plan for something to go wrong and have ways of getting out of it, the other person's just going to have a good time and laugh with you. And it's going to be a memorable experience instead of, oh, I'm into everything. Then I break out a fucking machete because I'm like, all right, she's into blood play. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, 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 not that far. Mm -hmm. But that's the point. If somebody sits there and tells me, oh, I'm into everything. Oh, I'm going with the most vanilla plan on the face of the earth. You're getting candles. For for mood lighting, you're getting some slow music, and you're getting a nice and intimate night. You're not getting whips, chains, you're not getting uh, electric play, you're not getting fire, you're not getting any of the, the other crazy stuff that I do, because I am afraid to give it to you. Mm-hmm. And that is the same thing with a submissive. Because you go into a you go into any sort of relationship with somebody that 
you are looking to bottom to and you are looking to feel vulnerable with. If they cross a line and you do not know how to stop that line from being crossed, bad things happen. Mm, absolutely. I think, too, I just one of the points you made really stuck out to me is not only knowing what you want, but discussing your plan for when shit goes wrong because people miss that step. They say, yep, I like this, 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 don't do this, but not what go what can go wrong with the shit you like. Um, I think that's a really important point that people need to be doing and including in their communication because, as you said, shit's going to go wrong. First word out of your mouth when you begin negotiating a scene should be, what is your safe words? Mm-hmm. End of story. Literally, I I literally turn to the people that I am with and I go, I use the stoplight method. Red means we're done. Yellow means slow down. Green means pick up the pace. I want it harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that method too. I think it's very simple, effective. Everybody knows what a traffic light is. Um, they can't really have much miscommunication with that one. Like it's, it's a, it's a good one. Do you have, I guess, advice for somebody who's wanting to start exploring this but hasn't really where they should begin? Fat life. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, I know we've talked about it on. I know that you've talked about it a whole bunch on this show. I know we've talked about it a whole bunch on Sixty Nine Whiskey. But fucking fat life, Facebook for kinky people, ladies and gentlemen. Go find people, network. They, if you don't feel like driving out somewhere, they have online events. Uh, munches are your best friend. They are places where you are not expected to talk about kinky shit and you meet other people who are kinky. They can tell you where parties are. They can tell you where large-scale events are. Uh, If you go to a large-scale event or play party, you do not have to play. Let me restate that. You do not have to play. Just because people are fucking around you and doing hot and kinky shit around you does not mean you have to jump up on a table and let somebody uh, tickle your butthole. You can be a voyeur for a night. It is okay. With that being said, make sure that you vet the people that you are communicating with. Make sure that while you are at the munches, you are really talking to people and getting to know them. One conversation of simple, uh, hi, how are you, does not tell you who a person is, does not tell you who they are morally. You need to take time and talk to people for longer than a night. Are you, is it possible for you to hit it off with somebody and do something sexual maybe the first time that you go out to an event? Possibly. Is it always a good idea? No. (laughs) But go out with an open mind Mm. is the best advice I can give. 
Mm, absolutely. And I feel like also, like, as you said, you can go to these events and you don't have to necessarily participate. You can just talk to people, watch. Because I think that in itself, if you don't even know what you like or where to begin, just seeing things and seeing how it makes you feel and, like, I think that's, like, such a great, great start. I will preface this, though. It is so much easier for females within the community Mm, and for females to find and be a part of a community. However, it is also easier for females to be abused by communities. So females, please be careful. Mm -hmm. Men, on the flip side, uh, also be careful of being abused. Just because you are single does not mean that you should be spending three times what everybody else is paying to get into a party. Mm-hmm. That's wrong. No, I agree. Venue venue operators, I get it. You want you want females to come because it'll attract more people. Because let's be again honest, it's a lot harder to get females to be comfortable coming out to these events and getting them to come out and participate and be safe at these events is a major point of these events but Mm. equality should definitely be exercised no i agree and i've seen that even at events here i'll be like Women, you can come for free. Men, you got to pay 100, 150, 200 bucks if you want to come. Yep. Single men, 100, 120, 150. Couples get the discount of 60 bucks. Mm-hmm. And single females get either 25 or free. Yeah. No. Yeah, it does. It makes it. And also, I guess, it also makes it less accessible for men that genuinely want to to engage in these communities like all giving a little bit of love to my younger fucking doms out there who still have no fucking clue what they're doing because the restrictive practices and stuff uh and just the general mentality of society at this point in time uh it's my heart goes out to you and I feel for you a lot because it is, it is so very, very difficult to learn and it is so very, very difficult to find a solid community that will not take advantage of you. And I can't really say that I've been part of a solid community that has stood the test of time because there's been so many things that I have learned about things that I, that I I was around for that were so disgustingly wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have, heard of very very abusive relationships that i thought at the time were healthy but looking back on it and knowing all of the information that i know 
I wish I would have done something. But mm -hmm. that's the part of communication within the, your communities. Everybody needs to feel safe. And should feel safe. Mm. Absolutely. Do you have anything else that you think is important to touch on when it comes to discussing like BDSM? It's fun. It's exciting. Uh, go out and uh, find the community that's right for you. Uh, support your local uh, toy makers and understand that those are usually some of the most helpful people you can possibly talk to. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the toy makers that I have become friends with over the last year uh have the same policies that a lot of good quality doms do which is they won't sell toys that are incredibly dangerous to people that don't know what the fuck they're doing they won't sell toys to people that uh don't that they don't vet properly and they're all incredibly nice and helpful people mm -hmm. yeah, that's awesome. that's what i got on bdsm <laughs> yeah cool so i would love to know what is something that is orgasmic to you <sighs> something that is orgasmic Something that is orgasmic to me is I love Cinnabon. Like like the actual foods like from the, from the company. It is I you you want me to say something that's orgasmic? That is the thing that has been getting me off for the longest amount of time. Before I, I knew what ejaculating was, Cinnabon <laughs> was getting me off. I love that. That's great. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your knowledge. Um, it was a very insightful episode. I know that the Shaggers are going to love listening to this one. As always, Shaggers, please reach out with any comments, questions, or stories, either through my Instagram at That's Orgasmic or my email at emilyduncan at that'sorgasmic.com. Please subscribe on whatever platform you use to listen to this podcast and leave a review as I'd love to know what you're thinking. So thank you, Shaggers, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>